Well, welcome back to another edition of the Sunday Hour. I am Pastor Joseph here with you today, and it's so good to be able to come into your life and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. But before we begin, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be able to share your word, to be able to dig into it, to be able to understand what it has for us. I pray you'll open our minds, our hearts, our souls to receive what you have for us. In your holy name, amen. I don't know about you, but in my own life, I struggle at times to keep a Christian perspective on everything that goes on in my life. It's easy for me to get so caught up in what's going on in my current circumstances that I forget to take a step back and see the Christian perspective that God is at work in everything that goes on in our environment. God is intimately interested in being with us every step of the way if we'll but open up our hearts and allow him to make a way to intercede, to move the roadblocks out of our path, to open up doors that we could never open on our own, to guide us, protect us, lead us. But so often we like to take the hat on all of these roles and wear them. We are versatile in our roles because we try to control our environment. I'm guilty of it, as I'm sure there are countless others that are too, because it's just, it's human nature to try to fix our circumstances instead of allowing someone else to fix it for us. But when you're a Christian, you know that your life, your entire being belongs to the Lord. And so that whatever goes on in your environment, in your circumstances, in your life, God is in control. And that's why today we're going to look at Psalms 23. We've been on this journey of looking at uh, some of the most notable Psalms of the Bible. And I can't imagine a Psalm any more notable than Psalms 23. It is read so often as comfort, encouragement, um, it was one of the first psalms that my mother taught me as a child that I memorized and learned by heart. And it is a psalm that is deeper than the surface that I feel sometimes as Christians, when we read through it, we just kind of gaze over these verses and think, oh, well, that's beautiful, that's pretty, that's good, but you know, maybe maybe it's not uh, necessarily uh, for me in this particular moment. But if you look through this psalm, you'll see in these six verses that there is so much packed in here, so much of, uh, of Christian significance that we would be remiss to overlook the power that... Uh, lies in this uh, small psalm, one of, one of the small, smaller ones of the entire book. But there is so much packed in there that it, it sort of took my breath away when I was studying for uh, the episode this week. 
And so I, I pray that you'll spend some time with me, that God will help me as we open up and we try to look and see uh, the nuggets of, of value that God has placed in this psalm for each and every one of us. If you have your Bibles or if you have the app, will you look with me at Psalms 23? It says, The Lord is my shepherd, to feed, to guide, and to shield me, I shall not want. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still and quiet waters. He refreshes and restores my soul, my life. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the sunless valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod to protect and your staff to guide, they comfort and console me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed and refreshed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell forever throughout all my days in the house and presence of the Lord. Wow. There is so much packed in uh, this little psalm that... I pray we can get to everything that needs to be said today. Let's look at the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. He is the one who looks out, who guides, who protects, who provides for the sheep. This is a psalm written by David, and if you'll notice in the psalm, there's no mention of war, no mention of pestilence, no mention of plagues, no mention of turmoil or distress. It's a peaceful psalm, a psalm written to encourage the hearts of those who take the time to dig into it and see what is within these six verses, the words that the psalmist David put together so eloquently. The Lord is my shepherd. He feeds me. He guides me, and he shields me. I often think in my own life, I, as I look around and, and, and ponder uh, the things that I've went through, the experiences I've had, the uh, trials that I've had to suffer through, that if God hadn't been there with me, where would I be? You know, the things that could have happened to me that the protections of God kept me safe and secure from. It's easy to look at the things that uh, maybe we don't have, the things that we've had to endure, uh, the circumstances we're currently in, and we fail to see how much worse it could be if not for the provisions of God, the Good Shepherd, who guides us, protects us, and shields us. You see, the shepherd looks after the welfare of the sheep. That's his main priority, is to look after the welfare of the sheep, to make sure that they are protected, they're provided for, they're shielded from evil, from things that would try to destroy them. And David was acquainted with this uh, metaphor that he's using here as the Lord as the shepherd. David was acquainted because he himself was a shepherd of his father's flock. Uh, that's what David is, is 
is remembered for when you think about uh, the da- King David, you think about him being a shepherd. That's one of the titles ascribed to him when you study his life. And, and so this is not a surprise when he starts off the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd to feed, to guide, and to shield me. You know, it's interesting to think about the things that God shields us from. And and, and going in this train of thought, I'm thinking about the things that God tells us no on. And one thing that we've tried to do over the last uh, few episodes is just sort of do this free thought. I used to come to the episodes with notes prepared, uh, with everything uh, choreographed to where it should be. And I just felt the Holy Spirit said, let me speak through you. Let me give you the words. Don't be so choreographed to where everything is, you know, symmetrically put together to where there is no room for me to move and to work in the lives of the listeners and in the lives of me. I I get great help out of hosting this as uh, I pray that you get uh, help out of listening to it. And when I look here at this first verse, and we have been reading out of the Amplified Version of the Bible, it says to shield me. Now, one of the things that God shields us, uh, one of the ways that God shields us from the things that would destroy us is by telling us no or telling us to wait. And these are hard answers or hard measures of protection that it seems to us that God uses to guide and protect us as his children. Nobody likes to be told no. I remember as a child, one of the dreaded things that I could be told by my parents is no. I didn't like it. But worse than being told no, even more heart-wrenching than that as a child was to be told, wait. I didn't like it. I didn't want to be told to wait. I wanted to have what I thought that I should have now without anything to stop me from getting it. And yet, so often we step outside of the protections of God because we overstep what he has told us no or told us to wait on. I think about the the story of the prophet who had uh, came to Israel. We, uh, if, if you uh, study the Old Testament, and that's where I've been these last few months in my Bible reading plan. I got through the New Testament, then went into the Old Testament. And I'll tell you, friends, it has been rich for me to read through the Old Testament. Now, I know that uh, Christians normally are kind of uh, light-footed, shall I say, when it comes to the Old Testament. They prefer to fall into the New Testament. It's more relatable. It's more applicable to their life. But there is so much rich nuances in the Old Testament that uh, you're cheating yourself out if you don't take the time to go through there and meditate and ponder on what's being said. And when I think about this first verse here and the Lord feeding, protecting, and shielding and and in that that train of thought where God tells us no or tells us to wait, I think about the the prophet that came uh, to proclaim the message of God in Israel. Um, In the Old Testament, we know that after uh, Solomon, King David's son, 
he, his time had came, he passed on. We see that the kingdom was split at that time because of his son's um, failure to heed the advice of those that around him. He went with his generation's advice instead of his elders uh, of his father's court. Uh, he went with the newer generations of ice in dealing with uh, ten of the tribes uh, that uh, comprised Israel, and now we are in in the setting where about uh, the country split apart. Two tribes are with Solomon's son, and then the other ten tribes are with Jeroboam, who was a member of King Solomon's court, but he had had an outs with King Solomon, and he had hid in Egypt. Uh, I, I guess you would call that, in that time, political asylum. He got in Egypt so that he wouldn't be killed by King Solomon. And God told the prophet that is prophesying in Israel, because uh, Jeroboam has caused Israel to sin, he had made golden calves, he placed them in two major cities in Israel. He told the Israelites, these are your gods, these are the ones that brought you out of Egypt, these are the ones you were served, because he was fearful that if the people went down to Judah and they worship God there in Jerusalem at the temple that Solomon had built, that he would lose his kingdom, his power. Uh, his prestige, and so he had led Israel down a, a idolatrous path. But God tells this prophet that is prophesying um, against the wickedness going on in Israel, he says, you know, proclaim your message, then leave, and don't stop and keep going. God clearly tells him, for his protection, don't stop, don't, stop, uh, don't take a side trip to a little diner to get a cup of coffee, just keep on going, and till you're back home again. Preach my message and keep going. Don't take a pit stop. Don't grab uh, snacks for the road. Just keep going. And as this prophet has prophesied against uh, Jeroboam, against the wickedness going on in Israel, he does what God has told him to do, and then he takes off. Well, there's another old prophet who's uh, not so much in the prophesying business anymore. He hears from his sons that uh, this prophetess came and prophesied against the wickedness of um, Israel and the way that Jeroboam is leading uh, the ten tribes. And he sends, he, he takes off, he sends a son out to get his donkey ready. He takes off and goes after the prophet who has just prophesied against Israel. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why he did this, why he wanted to, to draw this prophet back, to talk with him. But uh, we can certainly see that the devil was at work here. Uh, it was probably a testing of the prophet's belief and faith of God. Would he allow the Lord as his shepherd to shield him, protect him, and guide him? And so this old prophet comes to the prophet that had just prophesied against the wickedness of Israel and says, Hey, an angel came to me and said, You should come home with me. Uh, you should rest. Uh, we'll have a meal together, and then you can take off. And so the prophet goes back with the old prophet and they have a meal, and then all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord comes on the old prophet, and he looks at this younger prophet, and he says, you have disobeyed the voice of the Lord, and you have came back when God told you not to, not to make any stops, just keep going to God home, and because of that, you shall die. And so when the younger prophet takes off again to head home, a lion meets him and kills him, and that's the end of his story. 
Um, there is is a little bit further about the old prophet goes, takes his body and puts him in a tomb. But but uh, as far as his human life goes, that's the end. That's over. And we see that because of his disobedience, it cost him his life. How many times do we cling to the things of this world that is costing us our lives? That's been driven home to me over the last few weeks is the things in my life, the sins that so easily beset us. Why do we cling to the very things that is siphoning off the life that resides within us? It's a thought-provoking uh, rhetorical question that as Christians we should ask ourselves. The Apostle Peter says that judgment will begin in the house of God and will barely make it in. I think we should do self-examinations on a regular basis of our own lives. You see, God can't be the good shepherd in life if we restrict him and we don't allow him to work and move in our sphere of living and we box him in and put him in a corner or lock him in a room and say, hey, you can only do this and this and this, but I'm going to have it my way. No, God doesn't operate in that fashion. It's either all or nothing. As the good shepherd, he'll feed you, he'll guide you, he'll shield you, but you have to be wholly committed to him. We see what the psalmist says. If we allow the Lord to be our shepherd and to take care of us, we shall not want. I like those four words. I shall not want. We won't have any needs unmet by God. Notice I said needs. I didn't say wants will be met, but our needs will be met. There will be no need left unmet if we allow the Lord to be our shepherd. Now, going on to verse 2, it says, He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the steel in quiet waters. Not only does God provide for us, he provides for us in a miraculous way. He lets us lie down in green pastures. I found it so in my own life that when I've allowed the Lord to guide me, to shield me, to feed me, I come out on the other side with more of an abundance than I certainly would have had if I would have done it my way. You see, God knows how to get things done in a way that far surpasses human comprehension. We see it one way, God sees it another way. His ways are higher than our ways, we're reminded. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As far as the heaven is far uh, as far as the heaven is removed from the earth, the distance between the two, so far are his ways and his thoughts from our thoughts in our ways. He lets us lie down in green pastures. He provides for us abundantly. He leads us between, beside the steel and quiet waters. He causes us to be restful in the moments when we want to be going at 100 miles an hour. He causes us to take a step back and rest. Because when we are in the fast lane and we're 
chasing our tails around, so to speak. And we have all these things going on, appointments. We have all of these functions, activities, responsibilities, obligations. We fail to meditate on God. I've noticed in my own life when my schedule was, is stacked to the top that God gets pushed to the back. And that's why I believe there come seasons in our life where we have to rest because God is trying to speak to us. He couldn't speak to us in the fast lane. So he has to get us over to the slow lane so he can speak to us, so he can guide us, teach us, and direct us. You see, he loves us so much that he's willing to take the time to slow us down so that our eyes will be focused on him and not on the things that surround us in this world. I like the old song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And the course goes, Then the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory in grace. You see, he'll lead us beside the still and quiet waters. Verse 3, he refreshes and restores my soul, my life. You see, he gets us by the still and quiet waters, and there he refreshes and restores our soul, our very essence of life back to us. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. He takes us along the righteous path, for his namesake. God calls us to be holy because he is holy. He calls us to a path of righteousness because he is righteousness. You see, as long as he gets the glory in this, our lives will experience an abundance that we've never seen through our own measures. It's only through His leading, guiding, refreshing, restoring that we receive this abundance. It's so abundant that it refreshes and restores our life. Look in verse 4. Even though I walk through the sunless or the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear any evil. For you are with me, your rod to protect and your staff to guide. They comfort and they console me. Even though I go through depression, even though I go through financial setback, even though I go through a bad medical report, even though I go through a broken and fractured relationship, even though I go through whatever the something is that fills that blank, I will not fear. I will not be afraid because I know who holds my tomorrows in his very hands. You see, I'll fear no evil. I won't be scared about what could happen because you are with me. Just the presence of God beats back the fear. It says in the Bible that perfect love cast out all fear. It cast out all fear in our life. Perfect love cast out fear, cast out all fear pertaining to this life 
that would hold us back. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't be fearful of snakes or fearful of a bear if we met somebody in person. I'm not talking about that. There are some people that would like to take that to the extreme. But what I'm saying is we won't be fearful of the uncertain future because we know that he is with us. His rod will protect us. His staff will guide us. They'll comfort and console us. You see, a shepherd will use his staff to guide the sheep. He'll use his staff to steer the sheep in the direction they're supposed to go. You see, it'll guide us. God's staff, his holy word, will guide us. They'll comfort and they'll console us. I love in Psalms 94, it says this beautifully. It says, in the multitude of my anxious thoughts, your comforts cheer and delight my soul. You see, his rod, his rod will protect us. His staff will guide us. They'll comfort, they'll console us. We won't have to be worried. We won't have to be fearful because we know that God is faithful to his promises. He's a man of his word. Then in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed and refreshed my head with oil. My cup overflows. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Usually in the presence of your enemies, you're not thinking about setting up a banquet table and having a feast, but when the Lord is your protector, your great defender, you don't have to worry about your enemies because they're going to be thrown down and defeated. God will do it in such a miraculous way that he'll even prepare a table in front of you in the presence of your enemies. He'll bless you so abundantly that it'll be as a table set before you and your enemies will have to watch the Lord's blessing upon you. Psalms 86 says it's so beautiful. It says, send me a sign of your favor so that those who hate me, so that my enemies may see it and be ashamed. Wow, to know that the creator of the universe is working out our every step he is orchestrating our every move so that even when our enemies are gathered around us, they have to stand and watch us eat at the table of his goodness. You see, not only does he prepare us a table, he anoints and refreshes us with the oil. His oil of joy, his oil of gladness, his oil of enough it says, my cup overflows enough. It's so much. It's goodness, his, his love, his joy, his peace is so much that it makes our cup overflow. It reminds me of the old song that says, I'm drinking from my saucer, Lord, because my cup has overflowed. When you turn your life over to the Lord, you allow him to be your shepherd and you allow him to anoint and refresh your head you allow him to pour his oil of gladness over you, his oil blessing of favor, your cup will completely overflow. And then in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell forever throughout all my days in the house and in the presence of the Lord. 
Wow. Goodness, mercy, unfailing love, they'll follow me every breath I take till the day I take my last breath, and I'll dwell. Here's, here's the biggest reward of the Christian life is I will dwell forever in the house and in the presence of the Lord. There is no greater place to be for a Christian than to be in the presence of the Lord, than to be in his house, to worship him, to see him in the beauty of his holiness. I believe there's some people listening today that this episode is for you. Maybe you've tried to be your own shepherd. You've tried to lead your own self, to provide for your own self, to shield your own self, and you've came up short every single time. Well, I'm here today to offer you the hope that you don't have to continue down that miserable path that Satan has you bound in. You see, he offers you a flattery beginning, but he also causes you to have a horrible ending. You see, Satan will never tell you about the ending. He only tells you about the beginning because the ending is death because he can't offer you anything else. So he only focuses on the beginning. He defines the narrative around the beginning so that you don't think about the ending. But whether you think about it or not, the ending is coming. And when you rely on your own strength, you'll always come up short. You'll always come up with less than you should have or you could have because you haven't turned your life over to Christ. You see, when you rely on the Lord as your shepherd, he protects you, he guides you, he provides for you, he keeps his arms around you so that no matter what you face, he will always be there with you. As he told the uh, apostles before he went back to heaven, ascended back to heaven, lo, I am with you even unto the very end of days. When you completely put your trust in Jesus, when you completely give it all to him, you don't have to worry about what tomorrow may bring because you know the good shepherd will be there guiding, protecting, leading, and shielding you every step of the way. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that you'll be with the listeners. You'll encourage their hearts. You'll speak to the ones who haven't made that all-important choice to uh, follow you. I pray that you will cause their heart to be softened, that they will seek you while you may be found, and that, Father, you will be the good shepherd to them as you have promised. We know you're a man of your word, and that what you say, you will follow through and do. I pray a special blessing over the audience that you'll give them the strength and power and health and healing that they need. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen and amen. Well, if I don't see you around here or there, I'll certainly see you in the air. God bless you and have a wonderful week.